Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 442. Thank you for tuning in, guys. Um, I'm joined today by the amazing Craig Roberts. It's been another one where it's a conversation we've been lining up for a while, um, but it's come at the perfect time. So I can't wait for you to hear it. Craig is an amazing actor, writer, director. He does it all. And it's just, as someone who's got plenty of acting under my my belt now, got to work on some amazing projects. Speaking of which, a Taboo is now on Netflix in the UK. But I've had loads of scripts in development and I've got a few bits I want to direct. So I really wanted to pick Craig's brain about how he's got to where he is. And spoiler alert, it's through incredible talent. (laughs) So yeah, I think you're going to enjoy this. If this is your first time tuning in, head back through the back catalogue. I've had so many amazing writers, directors and actors. I mean, let's just go on the actors front. We've had Florence Pugh, Stephen Greyer, Michael Fassbender, Simon Pegg, Elena Hedy, Neve Algar, James McAvoy. Just a long, long list of amazing people. So check out the back catalogue. And also, in this conversation, we weirdly end up talking briefly about Twitch. I've now launched on Twitch. So head to twitch.tv forward slash Pip. I'm playing a game called Rust on a server run by Scottish comedian and streamer Limmy, previous guest as well. So come and hang out there. If you're thinking, what the hell is that? Just head to twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pipio um, or just download the Twitch app and come find me. Start watching and it will start to make sense. Learn by doing. This isn't an advert. Uh, we're brought to you as ever by speechofelementrecords.com. We've topped up on a load of the XL, double XL, and triple XL tees and jackets and stuff like that. So head over there if you want any of that goodness. And as ever, patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip if you want to chip in a little bit towards the upkeep of the podcast. That's all I've got to tell you about. This is episode 442 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the amazing Craig Roberts. If we if we don't get the wind, my God, it's literally blowing everything on the drive right now. Yeah, we chose the the windiest of days to be recording. So hopefully, our our words don't get blown away too much. But I'm joined today by Craig R- R- Roberts. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. And I need to say up front, I feel at a weird advantage here because I've been speaking to to, to different PR people and stuff. I think a lot, Rom, for a good few years now about having you on. So I feel I've known this conversation is going to happen for years, and you've probably got an email earlier in the week saying, "Oh, you're doing a podcast on 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 Friday." So yeah, apologies for my kind of my advantage in preparation for our conversation. Not at all. I've, I know about your podcast. I love the podcast, and I've known about you wanting to do something. So yeah, for sure, let's let's talk. I love it. Well, I mean, I'm a fan of your work, but I'm also I've been excited to talk because I'm fascinated by you. Because as myself, an actor and a writer and aspiring director, the fact that you've done all of this and done three films now at the age of 31, and you're not a, a 
a kind of legacy kid with you know all all of your parents like I'm and again I'm similar <laughs> I'm from a small town in Essex you're from a small town in Wales I've not had a family of who are all in the industry and st- stuff like that so I want to g- g- get get into your whole journey really so I mean let's go all the way back you grew up yeah. in 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 a small small town in Wales right where was that uh, Macy Kummer. Um, and yeah. by the way, thank you. For, thank you for the nice words. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, Ma- uh, Kummer. Um And uh, yeah, none of my family are in the industry in any way. My dad worked on the council and my mum is a domiciliary nurse, works at a, a home that looks after people that live with dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, and my sister is in the same kind of sector, I suppose, but like in a managerial role. So yeah, nobody in the industry, although my, my, my grandfather was a ventriloquist act and a mime. Uh, Amazing. Back in, the, back in the 60s, which is pretty cool. And I still have his... Um, is Puppet, which is awesome. Oh, wow. So that's probably the connection I have to some kind of entertainment in some way, I suppose. And I didn't really realise that until a couple of years ago. I'd kind of forgotten because he I mean, he passed away very early in my life. Yeah. Um, but I do remember him kind of, I suppose, you know, singing certain songs and me getting up and stuff with him doing stuff. So that's probably where it started. But I didn't really want to, I, didn't, I can't sit here and be like, I want to be an actor because I didn't really know it, it was a thing really, you know, yeah. it's not, I, it was all about football or rugby when I was in school. Yeah. And my parents, I think my, I did spend a lot of time in, in my house playing Xbox and I think they just wanted me to get out a bit more. So they, they put me in a <laughs> stagecoach. Um, but the stagecoach was too expensive. It was really expensive. Um, yeah. so we, 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 we pulled out of that after, I think, I don't know, maybe a year. Um, and I went back to thinking I could be a football player. Um, uh, and then my, my dad found out about like a, an improv class that was being run in Cardiff, um, called Atsley's, Atsley's Castings. And yeah, I went there, I think at about the age of 12, it was just like an hour in the evening. It was like a social club, really. And that's kind of where it started because one of the first auditions I had was a show called Tracy Beaker. Mm -hmm. And, I, I went through the rounds of doing that. I was actually, I went through so many rounds because I was too Welsh in a way. My accent was so Welsh that they had to like see if they could bring it back yeah. a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we wanted someone Welsh, but not this Welsh. Let's be reasonable here. Come on. <laughs> but it's probably why I don't sound as Welsh as I probably should. Yeah. Um, it probably started with that, really. So then, yeah, then I did, I, I did Tracy Beaker and I, I did a bunch of kids TV shows. Um, after, I did another one after that called Young Dracula and they were great. It was a great experience. It was awesome. I mean, you know, I got to hang out with cool people and, uh, you know, spend my summers making stuff and having enough money afterwards to buy more Xbox games. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that, that, that's like how it started really. And I love the idea that it started with your parents wanting to get you off your computer and it backfired massively you're like now nah, <laughs> i was off my my computer for a few weeks and now i've got more computer games so <laughs> jokes on you I, I spoke to beth granville about this recently and again I, I i relate massively because again the small town i live in essex is near to london and i think there's something really powerful in living in a small town or, or village that's gonna have character and most importantly gonna have boredom so you kind of have to use your imagination and these things, but you're near to somewhere like Cardiff that can kind of give you a glimpse of that. There's so many things going on. There is the arts. There are all these different things happening. My brother lived in Lampeter for for a long time, and whenever I'd go and stay at his, it would be you spend most of your time immersed in your own brain and mind, but then every now and then you 
you pop into town and enjoy the 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 riches of of a, a city as such so yeah do you think that exactly. balance was was good for you to go right i'm here again particularly as a writer and, and director i'm here around characters you couldn't make up and again i think small towns are full of that of characters mm-hmm. that you couldn't even dream if you wrote them f- fictionally as you say you'd be told that's too welsh or that's too that's yeah that's yeah. too unrealistic um but then yeah i guess having access to industries and at the point you were gr- growing up i'd imagine a lot of things were moving to cardiff and and swansea and there were production companies and studios being built because it was all of a sudden this great place that yeah kind of all the advantages we've spoke of there you've got a city but you can drive for an hour and be shooting in a castle or or, yeah. or on 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 a wonderful coast and things like that so it it suddenly became this great place for for tv and film yeah not so much i mean now it's like crazy how much work is in wales but it was definitely picking up for sure yeah um i think what was i suppose in a way it was kind of escapism going to going to cardiff and places like that certainly when i was younger um because i guess when i started working i was surrounded by older people so it made me uh you know and people that i suppose in some way wiser about what the world was so like i i guess i grew up i was forced to grow up quicker you know and that that really helped and you know it's always the thing of like yeah you need to get out of your town and really do something and and then when you get old enough you're just like i want to go back <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's exactly it's, like I, I live in london now and i love I lo- I lo- you know i really like it but you know that there's just something about i think i think being able to shut off when you go back to your hometown and and mm-hmm. And weirdly, I suppose it's kind of turned back on itself where I wanted the escapism of getting out and doing more. But now it's like that's the escapism going back with this, you know, with this not as much. And my family are there and stuff, which is great. Where where have you been during the pandemic as such? Did you remain in London or did you? And again, I know a lot of people who just went back to their, particularly if they live anywhere out of it all, went back to their, their, their hometowns. We were thinking of that. Me, me and my partner just moved into a new place in London, so we we were like, we kind of we've got to stay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just moved in. Go, All right, I'll see you in, in, yeah, in a couple yeah. of years. And bless her, like she, you know, she it was the first time moving to London. So like when she moved here, it was just. <laughs> welcome to london we're gonna you know look at these four walls all day yeah but we spent most of it and we we actually got a dog as well at some point during it so that kind of helped and um you know i can't really you know i can't complain about my experience of it yeah it wasn't nice but you know not as bad as a lot of people's yeah what point were you at with phantom of the open when all this hit because i assume you'd finished shooting or was any of that shot during the no we shot it all during during lockdown so actually during lockdown um, i didn't realize that at all yeah, so we there was the first wave, and then it eased off a little bit. And I think I was able to go to Wales, and I remember being in Wales, and I got a call from the producer saying that Mark's available for the summer, mm-hmm. and he wants to go then. So I mean, and when Mark Rylance is available, then it's kind of it all falls into place. And I, I, I'm I'm really. I get really worried about not having enough time to prep and this really wasn't enough time to prep. So it was, um, even though I didn't know if it was definitely going, I kind of just went, you know, full time on trying to prep as much as possible to, to get it where it should be. Um, so we shot that September, I believe. And it was, yeah, it was pretty new. I think, I think a few productions had shot, but we, we were in the heart of it. And, um, it, if I'm totally honest, it didn't really change much. Yeah. (laughs) Um, the only thing it, 
stopped was more people coming on set and more people being behind video village or behind the monitor and Mm -hmm. that's not a bad thing to be honest yeah exactly (laughs) that can give you that greater level of of focus i guess um i mean we're gonna jump uh, back and forth in this conversation because i said there's loads of your career i want to talk about but as you've mentioned mark rylance there last year he got all sorts of praise for his performance in don't look up as kind of a career high for him and it wasn't until i saw phantom of the open that i found out that the that don't look up wasn't even his best performance of the year let alone because <laughs> i think he's just astounding in this i think the way he oh. plays the, uh, this character is so fantastic and so it's there's something i really l- l- like about your your directing style in general that because it's got a certain character it would be easy to compare to the coens and stuff like this but i think there's more of a realness in there. There's a, 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 I don't know, a genuine warmth. And that's not, to be clear, I'm not going to sit here disrespecting the Coens on any podcast. <laughs> They're arguably the greatest directors of their, their generation. But with yeah. the Coens, it feels like almost a, fi- a, fi- a filter of warmth, a stylistic warmth, whereas you seem to manage to get a really unique style. But and, and Mark Rylance's performance sums it up perfectly. His character is... Virgin on the ridiculous and unrealistic, but it's also so realistic and so grounded yeah. at the same time. And I just found that absolutely astounding from him to uh, to, to 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 find that. I appreciate that. That's thank you so much. I mean, yeah, that's all, Mark. I mean, he. It was we, I, the first conversation I had with him. Actually, we it was just about uh, well, it was about getting him on board because I'd written a letter to him with the script and. He'd responded to that and then we had a phone conversation and it was, he was, it was for him, it was all about grounding the comedy and not making a broad comedy. And I mean, I was totally, you know, we were on, we were on the same page. We didn't really, you know, one, one movie that keeps getting, I, th- I think people keep mentioning with this movie is Eddie the Eagle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like Eddie the Eagle. I think it's a great movie. I love Dexter Fletcher and I, I think Taron's great in it, but I, we really didn't want to make that movie and, and not because it's, not because it's bad, because it's great. It was mainly because we didn't want it to be too, I suppose, showy in a way and too, mm. like it's, it's, it feels like a studio movie and that's really great. But I, I kind of wanted a, a middle ground of it being accessible, being able to transcend the story from Barrow and make it worldwide. But at the same time, grounding it and f- making it feel a, a little bit more gritty. So like, you know, we, we made small decisions like shooting on film on 35 and on 16 and stuff so that there was a texture to it that felt like, this wasn't all like a positive story that's going to end well, even yeah. though it kind of does, you know, in a weird way. So with Mark, I talked about, you know, the references I actually talked about were mainly Paul Thomas Anderson. They were Punch Drunk Love because Punch Drunk Love for me is like, I think the benchmark for comedy, like in terms of how, how good it is. It's, it's really real and it's not too much, but yeah, it's from, you know, it's that, that, that tale is, a, is a, it, the pitch is a movie about, Social anxiety really is about a guy who really doesn't fit in in some way. Yeah, but he just the the kind of lens he puts on it just makes it feel more accessible and 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 joyous. And that's kind of what we wanted to do. So I mentioned Paul Thomas Anderson to the point where he was like, "Wow, you really like Paul Thomas Anderson?" And I thought I thought I mentioned him too much. Um, I, I I literally I recently spoke to my agent about trying to get in contact with Paul Thomas Anderson purely because in several interviews he'd done recently he spoke highly of a film I was in and I was only in it a small bit but I'm such a Paul Thomas Anderson fan I was like now is the time for me to say hello to him and say 
hey man, thanks for your kind words. Um, <laughs> I think you're amazing. But Punch Drunk Love's a great reference because what I really enjoyed about Phantom of the Open was it has got a grittiness in there. At times it's got a bleakness because of the situation the family are in. But then you almost effortlessly sprinkle in the magic every now and then. And it, it's it's it doesn't feel shoehorned in. It doesn't feel over the top. I think Dexter's a, gr- a great example of a different approach. Dexter F- 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 Fletcher of when he will bring magic in, but it will be so grand and fantastical. When you kind of bring this magic in, it feels like you're only just veering out of, of reality, if you know what I mean. Like it's yes, still, yeah. he's still walking on that... that that's the same street. The fantasy is just, you know, he, he's in a slightly different place in his head. You know, it's the same street, but it's from a different angle, if you know what I mean, rather than it being, oh, we're now up in the stars. It's Yes, exactly. And to be fair to Dexter, I would do the same as him if I had the same budget. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, like, I lo- you know, like, I, I love that. And I love, I love escapism. And that was, that was what was important with this. And to be, you know, it all goes to Simon, really, in terms of the magic. It was in the script and it was just about bringing that to life in some kind of way and making sure it felt right and 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 not too I mean Billy Liar was a great reference really for that as yeah. well Billy Liar is such a such a I mean we to the point where we we love that movie so much that we I think paid a lot of money to get the clip wasted a lot of money on that we probably could have put in something else to get the um <laughs> the clip into the movie before he like goes into the fantasy yeah yeah so that was you know that was and to be fair like again to Mark he was just phenomenal there was you know, I was surprised every day with what he was doing. And some of the references I'd mentioned that, you know, I'd sent to him were like the king of comedy, which was mm-hmm. me, for me, like a great, another great reference because there's a fine line between laughing at and laughing with. And mm-hmm. king of comedy is laughing at. And so it's kind of what not to do. But also at the same time, it's such a f- phenomenal performance. Yeah. Um, you know, there's nothing funnier than somebody that believes they're funny and they're not like yeah. that. That's a funny concept. Um, so, you know, similar with Morris, really. He believes he can play golf and the powers that be tell him he can't. So that was a reference. And then there was some other ones that I, I sent him that I can't quite remember. There was one that I sent to him that he was like, this is, I, I'd sent him a Roy Anderson film. And I actually hadn't sent it to him for the film, but I just sent it to him, like a box set of Roy Anderson movies. And the one he picked was just too pornographic. <laughs> so he watched it and he was, he was like, I mean, it's not that it's a pornographic movie, but it was just the, the first one of, of that box set, which I, I'd hope, hoped he'd skip, but he actually picked that one to watch and didn't, and didn't watch the rest of the box set. So that so didn't go What are you that. sending me, man? Why are you, yeah. can we... <laughs> Why is this a reference? Um, but yeah, every day he was, you know, he's, he was, he totally surprised you on just how, how wonderful he is and able to adapt and Im- improvise. And he's, I don't know, he's got kind of, He's got that kind of stoic stillness of of Benjamin Braddock from The Graduate, or or Harold and Maud, and I just I think that's wonderful. So yeah, once we once we got him on board, it was about just building up the cast around him. And Jean, the wife, was really important to get get Sally. Really, nobody else. It was important yeah. to get Sally just because she's so good and she could bring so much to the role that you know that that a lot of people can't. I think hundred percent. Well, I'm 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 going to rewind back again a bit um, because I think artistically we 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 take so many of our references and our tastes from the stuff that influences us growing up from the stuff that we watch from the films that we're into from the films that inspire us but i also think that a a lifetime of influences as a viewer you can kind of get an equal impact from one job you work on from from seeing a director liking things about them not liking things about how they work or so on and so forth and the first film that 
that you came to my attention in was submarine and it's it's really interesting kind of the reason because generally anything paddy considine's in i'll be i'll be taking a look at he's love paddy love paddy idol of mine and one of the first podcast guests and yeah he's given me so much amazing advice over the years but i didn't know he was in it the the, the reason i was excited about it weirdly was a guy i knew from the spoken word scene joe, joe dunthorne had written the, the novel <laughs> so, so i knew joe and particularly at that point when we're all doing spoken word anyone get getting something actually picked up and turned into something is like that's unimaginable because there's so yeah, much stuff yeah. that's a bit obscure that's either self-published or you expect it to be i've got a book out but no one's really going to read it and that kind of thing and joe's book got picked up and all of a sudden it's being directed by richard iwadi and yeah I adored it. I thought it's it's fantastic. And Richard has that similar thing there. It's why it came to mind of having his own really distinctive style that, yeah, you can almost feel, you can feel his influence on it. You know, you you, you have these directors like Paul Thomas Anderson or the Coens where you, you can feel it's one of their films, but then you also get like a Ridley Scott, who I think is one of the greatest of all time. But there's new, Mm -hmm. like there's, there's, he's done so many films, that are so different and varied so yeah like how was that to work on and do you feel you kind of took anything in at that point to go at some point I'm gonna be on the other side of the camera and I like this or I don't like that yeah it's interesting I I I mean that opened my eyes for everything really I mean I'd only done those kids tv shows before then and I think I've said in the past that they were bad they weren't bad It it was that I was bad in them um, and I just felt like I didn't really know what I was doing, to be honest. And I, I mean, how can you when you're 14 just mm. saying lines? I mean, it's, you know, I wasn't really, and I, you know, I wasn't approaching it with like, yeah. I wasn't getting into character and stuff when I'm 14. I was just t- say, saying stuff. So Submarine was the first job that, yeah, that felt like I was fully committing to it in a way that was like, oh my God, I, I know I have to play a character here. Whereas like in Tracy P, I was just playing myself really with, with yeah. a bandana on, with a bandana on. Um, and so, uh, the audition process was interesting because I I actually didn't turn up to one of the auditions because I had I had a holiday booked or like a lads holiday booked if that's what they call them, not that it was a lads holiday but in Benidorm, um so I actually went to that because it's spent... in Benidorm it's a lads holiday I'm afraid yeah. it is what it is you have to accept it yeah so I I I spent the money so I had to go to that so I think on the recall I wasn't available or something. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, and then they start, you know, they did like a they did like a nationwide search. It was they went all over because it was warp, and they were used to doing the whole, you know, the Shane Meadows of like casting yeah. people, street casting and stuff. And then it came back round, and I did an audition with Richard, and it was improvising with Richard, and I think it was I had to convince Richard that to go on a date with me, and. To be honest, most of the audition was just laughing at what Richard was saying, yeah. and that really that really helps because then you know the focus is not on you being bad. Yeah. Um, so, and then he got me to read like a chapter from the book, and I didn't really know why, but it made more sense once the voiceover went into the movie. So yeah, on the on the set, I, I kind of yeah, it went past in a blur really because I didn't really know what I was doing or. I just I was worried because I was so deadpan in it, and I got these movies from Richard to study, like like the Squid and the Whale, and and like The Graduate or Rushmore, mm. um, that it felt like an out of body experience. Um, all I all I knew that you know during the experience, he was just so calm. He was so calm, and where I'm at now in my life, and what you know, making films, I just don't know how he was so calm. It was, mm. it was incre- incredible, and it's because he had his shit together. Really, he really knew what he wanted to do. 
yeah. absolutely knew what he wanted to do. That's an amazing thing to be exposed to at an early age, right? I think it it it, it relaxes everyone. The first ever f- film set I was part, I was l- lucky enough to be part of was a Guy Ritchie film, and this first scene is like a helicopter shot on a, ma- <laughs> a mountain top with like three hundred extras. Yeah. And I was dead nervous. I didn't have any lines. I'm literally in the background on this, but I was dead nervous because I've never been on set before. And yeah. then, then Guy strolls on with a cup of coffee. You're like, you're right. Everyone he starts with goes, oh, Pip, and comes over and has a chat. And it, all this is like, <laughs> oh, wow. This is such a calming... Again, again, he's someone because he has his shit together. He preps it and he knows what he wants. And with Guy at that point, he had so much experience. It really helps you kind of go, all right, this this doesn't have to be... A horrible experience as no, such i don't it, have to be beating myself up over this this can be oh let's go and enjoy it do your prep and then just go out yeah. there and, and relax and enjoy it rather than that constant tension of but what if it goes wrong well yeah that's the thing i mean you know it's it is entertainment at the end of the day it's not it's not open heart surgery yeah do you know what i mean like we are we make it's it, it there should be a lot of fun behind it it shouldn't be taken too serious i mean i'm all for people taking it seriously and making something really great but i don't think anybody sets out to make anything bad yeah. so i don't see what i i find it very strange when people get so stressed to the point where it creates a a kind of toxic or bad environment it just it's it's silly it's yeah. absolutely silly there's no need for it um just take five go to the, go to the bathroom like, oh, you know, have, have, drink enough coffee like David Lynch does so that you, you have loads of bathroom breaks and then you have moments to yourself. That's probably the best advice. Yeah. So that you can get, you can get away from people. I, I heard j- just before I had a film role that I was getting r- really worked up about because it meant a lot to me. I listened to, I think it was Andrew Scott on a podcast and he just said he was, was doing some theatre at the time, I think. And he said, it, it's called play for a reason because we're meant to be going out there and playing. It's meant to be fun. And it was, I heard that at the perfect time to go, right, actually, I've I've done my prep. I know I've done my prep. Now just stop looking at it all and go and enjoy the fact you're going to be spending four days on set on this yeah. huge production with these amazing actors and these amazing things. Drink it in. Don't be there going, right, it's almost my time. So, right, I need to, to do this. And it was, yeah, I, I heard that at the perfect time when I was really, it was the only time I'd done that. Normally I'm quite... Yeah. Let's go and enjoy it. Let's take take in the experience. But this is the first one. I was like, I can't mess this up. I can't. Yeah. I can't embarrass myself. And it's like, right, no, just go and have fun. That that pressure's a lot. It's a lot yeah. as well to put on yourself. I, I I I used to put pressure on myself when I was acting for. It was the line learning. Really, I used to. I used to be like, you know, drum them in and like, you know, really go over them and over and over. And then there was one. I think I was doing an episode of Casualty, and i i had practiced my lines lows beforehand and then when it got to actually doing the take i actually didn't know what i was saying anymore i didn't yeah. I, I couldn't even understand the words it's just noises yeah yeah and it just it all went it completely went and it was terrible so after that i made um, i made a point of like i i learned my lines in the morning like yeah. on my way there i learned them and then because by the time we do all the takes i'll know them for sure yeah exactly i've i've got a it's it's, it's such a fine balance on that for me and I think I've got it now but I've got a stammer so if I'm playing a character who hasn't got a stammer I need right. to have really drilled my lines and know when I'm going to breathe to make sure I don't stammer course, as such yeah. there's this kind of extra almost subconscious w- w- work I need to do but then equally as you say I've done that before where I've over drilled it and it's like right I'm no longer performing I'm just going yeah. in a robot in my lines and I had a Riz Ahmed on the podcast early on and he he's been a mate for years and he gave me some really good advice of learn everything inside and out 
and then be ready to just th- th- throw it all away. Because either it might ch- change on set or the simple fact that you're performing w- with someone. You yeah. need to have flexibility. If you go in there and you're just r- rabbiting out your your lines with no reaction to, 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 how they're, to what they're giving you, then it's no good. So it's kind of, yeah, it's getting that balance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it's whatever works for for for, for anyone, really, isn't yeah. it? Like it's it, everyone's got different processes. Um, I, I, it's interesting. One one reason I like rehearsing so much with uh, as a director is to get rid of stuff, really. Yeah. Like I don't really find rehearsal as like beneficial in 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 the way that we we're going to use absolutely everything we rehearse. But it's nice to get things out 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 of your system and kind of prepare for what's going to go wrong, really, because yeah. things will go wrong. Uh, you know, absolutely. We'll spend. It's always the same on sets. You spend six hours shooting the first scene because you're like, oh, it's going to look amazing, and then you get to the end of the day and you've got like 20 minutes to deliver a three-page monologue. Um, <laughs> so it's just preparing for that. But so, so with Richard, yeah, I kind of, I suppose he's been a mentor in some kind of way. Um, he's he's just an amazing person. He's a library of film, really. He just has yeah. so he just knows so much, so much. I've I've. I've almost had him on the podcast a few times and I've been really nervous and intimidated because I'm a film nerd, but I know Richard is this next level above of kind of, it's yeah. like, I feel like I'd need to be in training for a good few weeks before the episode to go, right, come on, now we can have a conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for you. Watch, I think Zazie Don Lemetro is like his favourite film. That's yep. his go-to. So if you've Great. seen that, then I think you're sorted. Okay, um, I like it. Yeah, so he, after that, to be honest, before that, I didn't really have an idea of, like, I didn't have an idea of, you know, a couple of years before that of being an actor. So I certainly didn't have the idea in my head to be a director. Um, but seeing him and then it was seeing Paddy as well do Tyrannosaur because yeah. he did that straight after. We didn't know he was doing Tyrannosaur. Right. Wow. The timing of that. That's amazing then. Yeah. He went straight on to Tyrannosaur and then shot that afterwards and they both came out at the same time. Imagine, imagine having b- b- both of those things in his head, his character in, yeah. in Submarine. <laughs> And Tyrannosaur, b- b- both living side by side. They're not common bedfellows, but... N- not at all, not yeah. at all. And then to find out that he, it took him, a, a, I think, a week to write Tyrannosaur, it's just, it just wow. blows my mind. Crazy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was both of those, really. I mean, certainly Richard, because I'd spent more time with him. And he, it, he during the press of Submarine is when he told me to watch a movie called Punch Drunk Love, and that changed my life. Mm. That made me see how, you know, cinema for me how it should be and but what you know kind of what i wanted to make so that plant he definitely planted the seed of you there's not just acting you can do a lot more so mm. after that i started writing and and now i'm here now it's the end i love it i, I love it and i love that that continued s- s- seed that that passing on of, of richard handing punch drunk love onto you and then on this on this this latest production you kind of going here's here's one of the main references this is yeah, it was for my last one as well, Eternal Beauty. That was Punch Drunk Love was for that as well. Yeah. And to be honest, it's going to be a reference for every film I do, I think, just because the grammar of it, the way it's shot, like it's just, it's just so well made. It's, I, I work with a, a director called Hal Hartley, who, who, you know, made some great films, but he directed a TV show that I did called Red Oaks that I was acting in. And this was a comedy set in the seven, eighties in America, kind of caddyshacky vibes, I suppose. But he told me that before every project he watches Full Metal Jacket. And I was like, why? He's like, he's like, just the grammar of it, just the way it's put together oh, yeah. and just how, how he shoots it. And I think that punch drunk love has become that for me. Uh, it's my safe space. Like, I, well, when I'm 
if I'm about to go into something, I just watch that and I know that that's a 90 minute film. There's no massive set pieces. It's two people for the you know majority of, of the ride. Yeah. And, and it looks fantastic. And I think that's, yeah, that's just become a kind of mantra. And I, I love it when there's these performances and actors who people forget how good they are. Like when Adam Sandler got all this praise for Uncut Gems and everyone was shocked. It's like, no, he's always been amazing. Ben Affleck's another one that kind of yeah. people will forget how good he is and then he'll do something and win loads of awards and go, how mad? And it's like, no, he's always been that good. He just does a variation of stuff. He's got things that are his his favourites, but if he wants to be dropped into this absolute masterpiece, of course he's got the chops to... Exactly. To Uncut, Gems did, Uncut Gems felt like a good sec, uh, double bill yeah. with Punch Drunk Love. It yeah. really did. I, I feel the same about Brad Pitt. Like, yeah. I just feel yeah. like... I think Brad Pitt's the best. I love Brad yeah. Pitt. Yeah. And in when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out, I I, I watched that movie over and over and over again because he's yeah. just phenomenal and he's really that's, funny. That's an amazing film for people in the industry as well because I think yeah. DiCaprio's performance in that, from getting you comfortable with him playing a not very good actor to then when his actor gives an amazing performance and you've almost forgotten that DiCaprio's this amazing award-winning actor yeah. when he turns on that performance it's yeah. jaw-dropping because you're like oh shit this is yeah he does so good at kind of subtly doing b- bad acting as such like it's not comical it's not over the top it's yeah. just not very yeah. there's just not a lot of effort in it and then when he turns on that effort in the scene with the little girl you're just like wow this is yeah it, this yeah is exactly you're reminded exactly yeah. he he should i think dicaprio should have got it not the you know i mean not that the right people get them anyway in terms of awards, but he should have got them. Yeah. He should. I, I feel like that performance was just incredible. It reminded me of Ray, Fi- Ray Fiennes in Budapest Hotel. Like it was that solid, that solid. That was also that- a great year for showing humans what is possible um, with a fifty-year-old Brad Pitt looking that good in in, in Once Upon a <laughs> Time in Hollywood, and and Jennifer Lopez in Hustlers the same year, fifty years old, just looking astounding and it's like a little hustle is fantastic his, i loved yeah. hustle yeah i thought it was yeah. a great movie yeah really great movie. fantastic yeah really good well i mean uh, uh, let's get back to a, a phantom of the open um because as said i really i loved it i didn't catch it when it initially had a few a, a bit of a cinema release i was i was aware of it because of and it's weird because i had a podcast yesterday where i was speaking about this lot but I'm a big fan of, of Shaheen Baig. I think she's a fantastic a casting director. And generally, there's her, Carmel Cochran, there's Hamilton, there's a few others yeah. who I really keep an eye on what they're doing because their projects are normally good. It's weird to get to a point of being s- such a film nerd that I've got favourite casting directors as well as favourite writers and producers and directors. But I'd seen her posting about it and, and and raving about it, so I was delighted to finally see it. How much of the process is casting? You spoke about get, 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 getting Mark, and yeah, you spoke about you, your preference, who you wanted, who you needed these to be. Sally, obviously, I thought the twins were just electric. The, the Lee's twins were amazing. How important a part of the process is that for you at the start of a project, I guess? It's absolutely everything because if you have bad actors, I can get my pretentious 35 millimeter film and I can get my 16 mil and I can make it look all pretty and, and looking cool. And it means nothing unless you've got good actors. Yeah. Like if you've got great actors and an iPhone, you're still going to have a better film than you do with, you know, all the equipment and bad actors. Yeah. 
so it's absolutely everything and um Shaheen's amazing she's fantastic and she she'd um she'd really helped me out with my first film that was really made for nothing at all and beyond her being great at what she does i just really like her i just really like her. she's yes. just fantastic she's really funny and just she's just a lovely person she's such agree. a lovely person I've, we've never worked together but i've known her for years now because she was the first person i before i had an agent or anything i hustled a meeting with and uh yeah it's just always a joy to be in there to be yeah working with and involved with she's 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 just got so much time for people which yeah. is great so and you know like it's it's really interesting who working with hods that you've worked with before because you know it's good to work with new people and you know open up that gate in some kind of way but at the same time it's also there's a there's a level of a You've already progressed through stages once you've already worked with somebody, so it's much easier, I suppose. Yeah. So, yeah, on this, I definitely wanted to work with Sheen, and I was worried about the twins, certainly, because I was just worried we weren't going to find them, really, mm. and it really got down to the line. I think we were in... We'd started prep, potentially, when we'd cast them, which I know is normal, but my my anxiety was through the roof. I was like, no, 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 mm. we, need, we, we need these pretty quickly. And then Jake Davies, who plays Mike... That was a audition process of just seeing a load of tapes, and he just stood out to me as like um, what I really loved about him was, I suppose a lot of people would and, and and rightfully so interpreting it as like a comedy, and they were playing that in the scenes, um, and he didn't really. He kind of just grounded it, and he just seemed really pissed off, which was which I really liked to be honest. I really liked about it. So. Yeah, I knew he was right. And then, yeah, Sally was, that was a few conversations with Sally being like, you know, you, you're incredible. And I just feel like you and Mark together is like a, a winning, a winning duo. So that, that was fine. But yeah, it's absolutely everything just because certainly when you're making a movie about family and about love and about supporting one another, there needs to be a real chemistry. And one of the first scenes we shot was there's a scene after like the flashbacks of like how we got to where we are mm-hmm. and it's like it says like the phantom of the open and then it's like the a crazy scene in the house where they're all talking over each other yeah that was the first scene we shot and wow. my, my yeah my my intention was like uh, weirdly uncut gems was everyone talk over each other go crazy and we'll try and pick up whatever we can pick up and i think it was very freeing for everybody doing it because it wasn't like okay here's your first close-up and we're going to really do this now we want to we hear your lines and everyone's going to be very quiet for it. It was kind of, yeah, I can be the character, I can shout, I can do whatever I want. So I think that was a really nice, although we'd rehearsed before that, that felt like, okay, now we're going. Now the ball's rolling a bit. It it works and it stands out as a scene because that was the one that instantly, the twins in that instantly, I was like, oh, these guys are great because it felt so natural and it is because of that, as you say, Uncut Gems style of everyone's just talking over each other because it's a family. And they're at yeah. home in their living room on their own. They're not going to be taking it in turns to say their lines and have their moment. They're going to be dancing around. They're going to be annoying each other. They're going to be throwing things at each other because that's that's a family, a working class family in a small living room with a new TV at this point and all this kind of thing. There's going to be all of that going yeah, on. It's exactly it I mean, needs it's to be ve- manic. Yeah, it's very re- you know when I'm at my house with my family, it's very rare we all wait for people to speak. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean we don't go hey dad how are you I'm fine thank you how are you it's like kind of just like we all talk over each other and it's <laughs> there's a lack of discipline I suppose it was um, the thing genuinely it was the thing that annoyed people the most when I first started this podcast like eight years ago because I was like it's conversation so we're going to interrupt each other it's not yeah. a tv interview where we go 
So what was it like making Phantom of the Opera? And then you talk, and then it's like, no, there's going to be back and forth. There's going to be interruptions, and because it's real conversations. And yeah, it, I love that. It makes it more, the reality. It's of more it. accessible. It's just more accessible. It's just yeah, yeah. I think I think I think it's a great great way to look at it. It's one of the things I, I mentioned Ridley Scott earlier, and he's on my list of people to work with, obviously because he's Ridley Scott, yeah. but also because the people I know who've worked with him all talk of him having always between a four and like eight cameras set up so yeah. every scene is always just free free flowing you've got it all there it's not we're going to do this again on your close-up or we're going to turn this round on you each time you do a take it's captured and the freedom and excitement of that seems amazing you know rather than thinking oh if, if this is our sixth take i can't really change much now because yeah we've got it all yeah, in yeah. the beats on the close-up so i can't now be over here I, that the idea of that as an actor just sounds like a playground to go in sh- and enjoy. For sure, yeah. He also, I think he storyboards absolutely everything. Yeah. And he draws them himself. Like, it's, I think... J- J- James Gunn's one that blows me away for that. You see pictures of his storyboards and it's like, why did you bother shooting it? Like, just <laughs> just show me this. You've made the film here. This is amazing. Mine are like stick, man. It's yeah. <laughs> completely understand. So, I mean, how did the story and the script come to you? Because every time I see, and for people, I mean, I realise that we've not mentioned what the film is at all. Essentially, it's a true story of a guy who worked in a factory, essentially at retirement age, and decided to give golf a try and almost accidentally enters the British Open. Um, yeah. And every time regularly there'll be an amazing true story like this then i'll be like right that's got to be the last one now like there can't <laughs> be any more of these insane characterful true stories left out there we've made so many of them and then as i said one like this comes along that i hadn't heard about at all and again all the while you're watching as wonderful as mark rylance is as wonderful as the story is there's a part of you that's like i can't wait for the bit at the end where we get to see the real the real person as always it has to happen it's a it's it's a it's a right of passage yeah. on these things you have to end with here's some footage of the real person and yeah yeah, yeah it was yeah it's astounding like it must have been exciting to find to, to have this this come along and go oh wow <laughs> how hasn't this been made yeah it really was and also to, to be fair the uh the real footage at the end you know it's kind of like it's like a cheat code because yeah. you know it's going to get people or, you know, you know it's going to, people will be like, ah, oh, that's great. So <laughs> you kind of, you kind of spend the whole movie working your way up to that to try and earn that, if I'm yeah. totally honest. Yeah. So I, the way it came about was through the producers, really, Nick, Nick Martin and um, Tom Miller. I, they came to see my movie, Eternal Beauty, at London Film Festival. And then we had a conversation about it. And I, I loved the script and I thought it was fantastic. But the references I, w- I was talking about was like Boogie Nights and... I, I, I think I mentioned Goodfellas at one point and then somebody killed that. <laughs> I think the BFI killed that. Um, but I was just, you know, I was just talking about how I don't essentially, and look, I love Ken Loach movies and I love the realness of them. Um, they make me cry and I need to like really take a second after watching all of them. But I didn't really want to make a socially real film. Although there are moments in this film that are bleak and are, you know, there, there are, I suppose, shades of social realism in it. This was a movie about somebody defying and going against their birth lottery. And I didn't want it to be grey and desaturated and just really bleak. I wanted it to be through the through his lens, really, to show his optimism and show what was what you know what he thinks he could achieve. So that's why I was mentioning those kind of movies. I mean, I'm not sure they 
Catch Me If You Can was a reference as well, mainly mm. for like, you know, the kinetic energy and the rhythm of it all. So yeah, I met them and then I met Simon and as talking about the script and going through bits of it and, and then the next stage was with Mark and then we, we, you know, we went through the script with Mark and stuff, but I didn't know about the story at all. And neither did my dad and my dad was a really good golf player. Um, yeah. he, he didn't know about it. And to be fair, like one of the, certainly one of the reasons for making this was my, the, the other two films I've made were slightly abstract, I suppose, in some way. And I knew that my dad would definitely enjoy this one. Mm. <laughs> so it was like, it felt cool to, you know, <laughs> make this for my dad in some way i suppose um, Here, here's one that you'll g- genuinely enjoy r- rather than tell me i've done very well yeah yeah exactly <laughs> although you know i i knew that he'd be like no that's not how to do that and not how to do that when it came to the golf yeah um that that was a big challenge certainly like it's not like it's raging bull where you're beating people up you know yeah. and that's entertaining in itself yeah for some people i suppose um but this was golf and a lot as much as there are a lot of people that love it a lot of people don't like it at all so we needed to really most of the prep was how we keep this interesting and how we shoot it in a way that like doesn't just feel like you know mark stood on on a big green can get very boring very quickly Mm -hmm. unless unless you do something with it and that again going back to like boogie nights and i just suppose as early scorsese early pta of moving the camera a lot Yep. So I, I didn't know about the story, but I def, and I didn't think I'd ever make a sports film ever, really. But yeah. what got me into the script was one scene, and I'm going to go back to Punch Drunk Love with this. There's a scene in the script that says Ma- um, Morris walks out of the, the shipyard and opens his overalls, and you see, like, Superman almost. Yeah. And as soon as I read that, I was like, okay, now I know my way in. Like, I know... Cause you gotta, I feel like this is the first time I ever write, you know, directing someone else's script. And certainly I was worried about if I, if I didn't have a way to, to tell it or like my, my way into it so I could try and make it my own in some way. Yeah. Um, and that was it weirdly, the Superman thing, because with Eternal Beauty, we were massively influenced by what he did with Punch Drunk Love. Cause in Punch Drunk Love, Barry Egan, his character is actually Superman. Yeah. So, and Mark Commode's talked about this and there's like videos that break it down that he's actually Superman. He's a superhero and he doesn't know how, what to, how to deal with his powers. And that's why he's socially anxious. So weirdly mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, this kind of fits into like after what we did with Eternal Beauty of being, yeah, being Superman in some way. So we kept that bit and there were like loads of Easter eggs, like throughout, like, um, like his number plate says something. And like we, we created the golf fest. So the, it's essentially all the Superman colors in a diamond. Yeah. Um, and like, all, and we had took like, Amazing. you know, yeah. So we took, t- took all these little things. And again, it was just about finding my own way into it. And like, nobody's ever going to know anything about this. Um, yeah. well, they will now if they listen, but you know, they, nobody's ever going to read into it that much. Even like the dog, it's the same dog that Superman had and stuff like that. Oh, wow. I love those little references. <laughs> yeah. Silly. And we actually, you know, we, we definitely ripped Superman for like going around the globe. And it's yeah. turning into a, into a ball. So yeah, there was that. There was also, a, there was another theme that I had, uh, in terms of iconography of, um, Guy Fawkes. Mm-hmm. We had a Guy Fawkes thing throughout because I just felt like this guy going in and taking down the establishment felt really yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but that was in the movie that was three hours long and not a comedy at all, <laughs> but nobody would ever see that cut. Well, well, just because of hearing the, um, the, the early reference being, sh- shot down can i ask that you hit mark rylance up and just do a good fellas edit of the trailer with with morris at the start saying as far back as i can remember i always wanted to be a golfer um <laughs> just just do a dark edit of the trailer to show a variation of what the film could be um 
we'll wrap things up in a minute as 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 we're almost at the hour mark but um how is it when you're approaching a film that's about real life people how much do you want to lean towards authenticity or accuracy and how much do you focus on no what's right for the story what's right for the tone and what's right for the film that you're making because again I always argue on these things when directors make choices that go off kind of course slightly is it's not a documentary it's a dramatization mm-hmm. it's a film mm-hmm. so so where's the balance on that for you and are you working with the directors on the sorry the actors on that or are you letting them make their choices on how much it wants to be an accurate portrayal and how much it needs to be the character that they've found that's a great question i wasn't worried about accuracy yeah mainly because i didn't want to make a biopic yeah i didn't want i didn't want it to be the darkest hour and the dark side was fine. No, no shade on that, but we didn't want to like completely change Mark's face to make him look like Morris and stuff. And yeah. it just takes you out. For me, it takes me out of it. It just feels like, and also you're never really going to get to that. You're never really going to get to complete accuracy. So why would you even attempt to mm. like, you, you know, you're not going to, it's not the person. <laughs> so it, it just felt like, yeah, I definitely didn't want to do that. We, I mean, we t- I talked with Mark a little bit about it, but for, for us, it was mainly about capturing his spirit and his soul really. And just, how optimistic it was. It was just about taking that. Um, of course, with the accent, you know, you want to get some, you know, close to it. And Mark, Mark did a really great job. And he's, Mark spent a good bit of time with the family, um, with Morris's family that, you know, that are still around. And, and that was great for him. But I, yeah, I kind of, I didn't, I didn't really want to, st- yeah, jump into the pool of this is a complete, yes, it's a true story. But if we, if we start like putting wigs on and stuff like that, then it could get really, really messy. Um, so it was about him. Yeah. Mark kind of, kind of looks like him anyway, in some, in some way. And he's of a similar ilk, I suppose. So that was fine. And we, you know, we did, made certain decisions, but it was never about going the full, let's have a costume party. Yeah. And, and on the kind of after it's m- made front, I guess, how do you approach? letting people know what you what you kind of had to learn before you you took it on that it's not a golf movie um and and there's a weird comparison here but i watch a streamer on twitch called david earl who's an actor and comedian he did brian gittins he's in loads of he's an amazing guy and he plays a lot of sports games on there that i have no interest in at all but i'm thoroughly enthralled with because of the stories he makes up alongside of with it, the way he is going through it and like he does a lot of american football at the moment but he's previously done all sorts of different sports i'm not interested in but because he's a writer and a comedian he'll make up all these storylines like for different yeah. players in the team all this <laughs> backstage stuff and it's so enthralling if you told me I'd be watching hours of someone playing American football. I would have said, no, that's never going to happen, but I can't get enough of it. And it's similar here. I think I probably would have or should have seen Phantom of the Open a little earlier than I did. But because I'm not a golf fan, I was like, I'm not really into golf. It's not really my thing, but it's not a golf movie. It's It's a movie with golf in it. It's a, yeah, it's the backdrop, really. It's yeah. the backdrop. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a movie about hope. I mean, look, we, it, for obvious reasons, it's been tough times. And I feel like at the, at its, you know, I definitely feel that at its core, yes, cinema should hold a mirror up to society. And I think that's important. But at the same time, I want escapism yeah. with my movies. I want to be able to completely escape. And that's what, I think that's what this offers. It's just a, everybody loves an underdog story for, for reasons I don't, you know, like, and, and like, I love Eight Mile. I absolutely love Eight Mile. Like, um, actually, in that 
you know, and, and that's what that's what this is, is eight mile. <laughs> the <Yeah>. golf eight mile. <laughs> <laughs> um no, I I um what was my point? Uh, yeah, I think the I think that it's a movie about supporting people and lifting people up to be who they want to be or become what they want they want. So I yes, it's golf, but it could be anything for you. Like it could be anything that you want to pursue. And we keep it entertaining enough because we have a good soundtrack. So if anybody's worried about the golf, come for the tunes and then stay stay for Mark and the great actors. And again, I think you really, the way you navigate the story and slowly introduce us to different kind of elements of the family is done beautifully. And it really all culminates with one of the scenes towards the, the end, which had me in tears. It's so It's so subtle and beautiful the way, I guess the way you let us in to the family life is really quite subtle. So by the end, I didn't realise how much I cared about this family and cared about them knowing who cares and who loves who and what they all mean to each other. Because again, that's so typically a relatable family life that you rarely think to mention how much you love this person or how much this person means to you or the influence they've had. You assume it's an unspoken thing. Yeah, but then that means that when it is spoken, it's fucking heartbreaking. And again, I really I felt I was drawn into that, and I, yeah, I thoroughly well, enjoyed is, it. That that I know that scene you're referencing is like you know that was certainly the biggest moment in the film for me yeah. when I when I read the script because it's about her and it should be about her. Yeah. How many bloody men have succeeded by you know their wives prop, propping them up? Yeah, and you know he was very you know I think that Morris was absolute determined hero to do what he did and it's you know you can't do that also without having the support of your family and certainly within within the case of this script and you know with with what this story is saying that was important to me to have it could seem like a love story with golf but it's not a love story with golf it's a you know for me it's a love story between them both um and, and and what they do for each other how how was it when you saw mark's performance of that because again it isn't delivered like the big moment in a film the big actor's moment in a film it's delivered yeah. like a stumbling awkward old man and that just makes it hit hit home all the more it's not this big here's the big beat and the big reveal and the big declaration it's kind of mumbled and stumbled along and that is perfect yes yeah, the wonders of emery like he, that's why he's so wonderful he's you know it's underplayed in yeah. the most beautiful way 100 percent. so many actors would have read that part in the script as you said and gone well this is the big moment and, yeah, and yeah, 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 the yeah. Big moment. He kind of it's not. It's that, and that's what makes it the big moment as such. Yeah, and we, you know, we. It was an interesting time in the edit because we. I always knew that that scene would be more emotional when you put music in it, like anything. Yeah. And you know, we played around a lot with that. We played played around. To be honest, the first cut of the movie that I had, I held it all on a very close up of him, yeah. almost like there was nobody in the in the room, like it was all in his head. Yeah, and and everyone was like. This is not a comedy. <laughs> there was, it was, it was more so. It felt like a Charlie Kaufman film. Yeah. Um, it was just all in his head um, that this was happening. Um, so yeah, it was. It was a. The whole movie was a great, great experience because it was just an experiment as well. At the same time, you know, we had so much footage, so yeah. much footage. You know, and it was a long edit. John Amos, uh, the editor, was fantastic, and it was just about piecing it together, like like it always is. You know, you you think that. What you what what you what's on the page is what's going to come out, and it never really is, as you know. So that was really interesting. But that scene was, you know, we we knew again we had to earn to get to that. We you know we had to earn the yeah. the respect of the audience and have to get people on board. And that's nice that you said that. You know, it kind of by the end you realise because it does kind of wash over you. You know, yeah. they're not 
they're not in your face. They're kind of just they're living their lives, and it's it's a day in the lives of, of them, I suppose, in a way. Yeah. Um, and that's what one, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did so well. You yeah. know, it kind of washes over you. Yeah. It's like you, you by the end of it, you want to spend more time with these people, and that was yeah. the aim, really. What what is Twitch? Is Twitch the where you watch? So you watch because so I. I it's, I watch people on YouTube playing FIFA all the time. I yeah. waste so much time just watching people play FIFA when I could be playing it myself. So, so that's probably a lot of people do it on Twitch live and then they upload it to fit to, 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 to YouTube of their recording of it. So Twitch is where most people will play computer games and you're there and you can comment and interact. But yeah. Okay. It's okay. good fun. But I mean, it, it, it feels as if we could talk for absolutely hours on end, but I am going to wrap things up now. So what is ahead i guess like this has obviously been a huge project from the starting point to as said the sound from the sounds of it, a huge edit what's ahead what's next have you have you had any time to s- settle into your new london home um because <laughs> again a pandemic and a film is really two things that take you out of 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 the normal situation right yeah you're right i, I i've got a playstation 5 that's what's next so perfect playing there your parents will be furious they've been trying so hard to to get you off computer games it's just not working <laughs> take the boy out of wales yeah yeah i've i've written i've been writing a script for the last like four years in terms of work like I, so i'm gonna shoot that this summer and Great. it's called honey and yeah i suppose it's a i suppose a, a greek tragedy in some way about a relationship Great, that sounds fantastic. So that's 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 going to be the next year or so, I think, of my life, probably. I love it. Well, I look forward to all that's ahead, and I'm glad we got to sit down and have this chat. I've really enjoyed it. I love the I love the podcast, so thank you for having me on, man. I thank really you so appreciate much, it. Gr- great to chat. Yeah. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Craig Roberts. I honestly can't recommend Phantom of the Open uh, strongly enough. It's It blew me. I loved it. I loved every moment of it, um, as you will have heard from the rambling and the, the, the details I was going into and the moments I was clearly excited about. So, yeah, check that out. I'll be back next week with more wonderful chat. As ever, I'm setting up a podcast studio over on on Twitch on Rust. So I'm going to have some people. It's weird. It's a different world. Don't ask too many questions. But yeah, if you want to head to twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pipio, you can find me there. I'll be on the, the, the socials and everything as ever. But until next week, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta. <laughs>